Well, a couple weeks ago, I saw a video of some ducks that had never been in water before. And I actually thought it was pretty comical watching these humans try to corral the ducks into the water. And the ducks are scared and they're running away. But rather than try and describe it to you, I thought I'd let you just watch it for yourself. So then they start throwing them in the water. But now watch what happens. So if you've ever really paid attention to the way a duck is designed, they're not made to run. All right, it's pretty funny watching these things little, you know, run around the ground. Like cheetahs and greyhounds and horses, they're designed to run. Ducks, the way their, their feathers are designed to, to let the water just roll off of them, the way their feet are, they're designed to swim. That's where they belong. And that's why we find it so funny that they're scared of being in the very place that they belong. But once they got in there, did you notice? It was as if they came alive and realized, this is what I was made for. You ever got to see a human do something that they were just made for? I think this is why we enjoy watching programs like The Voice. Just seeing someone up there doing just what they love, where they feel alive, what they were created to do. I remember years ago uh, when my wife and I lived in Denver, Colorado, my in-laws would come and visit us and then take us skiing. It was a really nice gig. We'd let them stay with us for free and they'd take us skiing. And one day my father-in-law wanted to go see a co-worker who's now living in Vail, Colorado. And so he took me over to Vail, hoping that we could score some really cheap lift tickets for Vail. And, and also he wanted to reconnect with this coworker. And we get there and this coworker, I, I forget how old Deems was at the time, but his knees were just so bad. I mean, he could just barely walk. And I'm thinking, we're going to go skiing with this guy? Oh my goodness, you put Deems on skis and he just glided. It was just like watching a duck throw into the water and just take off. It, it was remarkable. Or just this last week, I, I learned the story of Michael Jr. He's a comedian. And I learned how he got his start. He and a friend went to a movie theater, and the projector broke. And so as everyone's sitting there and things are starting to get loud, the friend goes, hey, you should get up there and tell some jokes. And so Michael Jr. did. He jumped up on stage, and he just starts telling some jokes. He was so popular that when the manager came back in to say, hey, the projector's fixed. We're going to get started. People were like, no, no, no. We want to hear this guy. And that's when he knew this is what I was made for. Maybe you have had that moment. Maybe you've had a moment where you just, you do something and, and when you do it, that's when you feel alive and you feel like this is what I was created to do. Maybe it was when you were playing an instrument, le learning and really becoming proficient on it. Maybe it was, as you know, like helped someone, like fixing cars or, you know, doing stuff for other people and, and just the feeling that that gave you. Or maybe it was just sitting down with someone and just merely listening and caring. That's what happened to my friend Deb. When she was in seminary, not totally sure what she wanted to do, she had to do an internship. And so she just went and started volunteering at the local hospital. And all of a sudden she'd get thrown into these awkward situations where a patient had just died and the family is grieving. And she's told, hey, they need a chaplain to go. And she's like, what do I do? And she goes in and all of a sudden she just starts sitting and listening 
And as these families are grieving someone who's just died, Deb was suddenly feeling more alive than ever, realizing this is what I was created to do. I think all of us long for that moment, just knowing this is why God put me on this earth. This is when I feel alive. Today, we are going to hear what you were created to do. It's for all Jesus followers. And so I do need to give a caveat that today you are not going to walk out of here thinking, oh, I now know what I need to do. I need to become a hospital chaplain, or I need to become a comedian, or I need to just become really good at skiing. You're not going to walk out with that kind of specificity. But you are going to walk out very clearly knowing that if you are a Jesus follower, this is what you were created to do. The Apostle John is today, in a sense, going to pick us up and just throw us into the water and allow us to discover that we were created to swim. Which means if you are a Jesus follower, you've got to listen into this. Which means you're going to have to just set aside the to-do list, the, you know, the, the football game for later today, you know, all that you need to do this week. You, you need to put that aside for just a little while because you need to hear this. You need to get this because John wants you to know, here's who you are and here's what you need to do. But I also need to say that if you're not a Jesus follower yet, first, welcome. I'm so glad you are here. We act, you, you, it's going to be hard for you to believe, but we actually started Riverwood Church for you. We are, we are on this mission to invite the spiritually disconnected to find and follow Jesus. And if you're feeling spiritually disconnected from God, then we want to be the perfect church for you. We're not a perfect church, but we want to be the church that helps you to find Jesus and follow him. Which means that if you are going to come to that place where you're going to put your faith in Jesus, then you need to listen in so that you know what it is that God will be calling you to do. Because when you say yes to Jesus, God's going to pick you up and throw you in the water. And we want to help you swim. So as we get ready to open to 1 John, would you let me pray? So Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what you've already written in your scriptures and how now we have gathered together today to, to read it, to listen uh, to uh, it being read, to listen to my, my thoughts on it, and to really ultimately to hear you teach. And so that's my prayer. It, it, this would go beyond what I've tried to prepare this week to talk about, and that you would penetrate the hearts and the minds of every single person that has walked in here. God, some of us, we're walking in having had a great week, and so we're ready, we're eager Maybe there's some pride that's going to keep us from really hearing this. We're, we're, we're going to think we're knocking it out of the park. And today you want to challenge us to call us to something more, to something deeper, to something better. God, some of us this week, we, we, we felt like we failed. We tripped up a lot this week. And I pray that today you would help pick us up and you would help us to, to just, again, walk with you. And Lord, for anyone who is here today that does not have a faith in you yet, I pray that today would be the day. Today would be their spiritual birthday that they would understand who you are and what you've done for them, that they would understand that Jesus went to a cross to die for their sins, and he wants to absolutely and radically change their identity. And so God, I ask you to open our ears, open my mouth, and let us receive from you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
All right, if you brought a Bible with you today, open up to 1 John. Today is our fifth week in studying John's classic letter. Uh, if you are a first-time guest and do not have a Bible, don't worry. I've got the scripture up on the screen with you, but I'm going to encourage you. If you do not own a Bible, after our worship gathering today, just stop back by the Give and Grow table. We've got two different uh, translations back there. We'd love to just give you one as a gift and for you to take it and make it your everyday Bible. So whether you come back to Riverwood or you end up at another church or whatever, you have a Bible that you can end up using. Also, if you've got a Bible on your smartphone, totally feel free to pull that out. Uh, that's very welcomed here. If you notice others doing it, they're not heading to Facebook or Twitter. Uh, they're, they're pulling out their Bibles. So that's totally okay. So if you've got a Bible on your phone, go uh, ahead and open it up. And if you don't have a Bible on your phone, go ahead and spend the time right now downloading a Bible to it. Today, uh, as we get going into 1 John, I just need to kind of recap last week because we're going to be picking it right up from there. John last week was talking about the end times. And that just naturally led into a conversation about the Antichrist. But what we discovered was that the Antichrist is not just one big bad guy at the end of all things. That really there are many Antichrists. And that they don't just show up at the end. John even warns us that they're already here. That, they're, they're, that there's this teaching, these ideas that try to pull us away from Jesus. Pull us away from the gospel. And get us onto these false doctrines that will lead us away from God. They're Antichrist. So John gave us just one simple thing to do to sort of combat against the false teaching of Antichrist. And that was to simply abide in Jesus. The, the word abide, we saw, it means to remain, to persist, to stay, to continue with the gospel. And so he's saying, if you just abide in Jesus, you will then know the real thing. And so you'll be able to more readily identify the fake and false doctrine taught by these Antichrists, and you will be secured. And so he's going to flow right out of that into that. And in typical John fashion, we're going to see him repeat himself. John, throughout this entire book, just keeps going around in circles. It's almost like he's honing in to get to his point. And so we, we pick it up in chapter 2, verse 28, and we're immediately going to hear him start talking about abiding in these end times. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. But no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness 
is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. All right, so we come out of this conversation about the end times, about Antichrist, about abiding in Jesus. And all of a sudden, we saw John start using this family language. I mean, the whole thing is drenched. I mean, first, notice right there in, in a chapter 2, verse 28, he uses that phrase, little children. Now, we've seen this before, and he actually uses it twice in this passage. He's not talking to a bunch of preschoolers, right? He's writing to his readers like a father who has affection for his children. And so that's why he keeps calling them little children. But that brings up this family theme throughout, because look at verse 29. He says next that if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So you're, you're born into this family of God, which then means that God becomes your father. Notice verse 1 of chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And, and he repeats that same idea of being born, being children of God throughout this. And, and he even goes so far as in verse 10 to say that we are to love our brother. And the word brother there could be brother and sister. All right, so he brings in this whole family idea. Why? Let me explain it this way. We're going to play a little thought game. And I want you to pretend that you have an issue. Now, some of you are saying, well, Aaron, I've got lots of issues. Uh, this is going to be a really easy game to play. Uh, but right now, we're going to all pretend we have the same issue. All right? And the issue we're going to pretend that we have is anger. All right? Now, some of you, this is going to be hard to play because you're really even keel. Like, it takes a lot to get you angry. But some of you, okay, this is a little too close to home. And you're probably wondering, oh, is, is Aaron, like, trying to, you know, like passively aggressively confront me on this? No, I am not having anyone particular in mind. All right. I want all of you though, to come together and imagine that you struggle with anger. And here's what your anger looks like. Your boss says something to you where you just didn't quite do well enough. And you just start yelling. You just go on a tirade and your coworkers just don't want anything to do with you. Or your, or your kid drops something on the floor and you just let them have it. Or some driver forgets to put on their blinker when they change lanes and you salute them with the middle finger. I mean, like it's always there. You are just constantly angry. It, it's so bad that it's damaging your relationships. Like as, as soon as your anger starts to rise, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, they like scatter like cockroaches exposed to the light. I mean, they just like hide. They try to get away and you start realizing th this is not good and you're getting tired of it. So you decide, I need to go see a counselor. So you walk into the counselor's office. He or she sits down across from you. The lighting's just right. You get this nice comfy chair. And they've got their pad out. And they say, all right, thanks so much for coming. What, what is it you wanted to talk about? And you just start to open up. Saying, I'm just, I'm just angry all the time. And it's hurting my marriage. It's hurting my kids. It's hurting my relationships at work. It's, it's hurting all these things. And, and, and plus, I just don't like who I am Will you help me fix this anger? Counselor writes a few more notes and says, really proud of you for coming in. We're going to address this. So let, let me ask you a question. Tell me about your relationship with your parents growing up. You kind of stop for a second. Like, wait, wait, what do my parents have to do with this? Like, I'm just angry now. Like, fix me now. Why are you going to talk about my parents? No, just get this anger out of me. The reason the counselor wants to talk about your family is because your family affects your identity far more than you realize. 
You see, your identity is how you view yourself. And how you view yourself then affects the things that you do. So, for instance, if you see yourself as a boxer, you're probably always going to be looking for a fight. Right? If you see yourself as um, a, person, a skinny person, you're always going to be going and working out. If you see yourself, let's say, like a community leader, you're going to view yourself very differently than someone who feels like a chronic failure. If you see yourself as some person, some role, you're just going to live out who you see yourself to be. And who your family is affects that so much. I mean, for, for instance, you could have professional athletes get married. They, they have kids. Oftentimes, those kids end up in sports. Now, we look at it and go, that's because of the DNA. I mean, just look. And, and that's probably a big contributor of it. But it also could be just the environment they grew up in. Because if their parents love sports, then they're just going to naturally talk about sports. They're going to watch sports. They're going to go, go, you know, take it in. And then their parents might even be able to coach them in areas and ways. And so these kids almost have like an advantage. So we don't really know how much of it is, is nature, the DNA, and how much of it is just nurture, you know, kind of the, the environment they grew up in. But what we do know is we see these kids kind of grow up to be a little bit like their parents. But on the flip side, if you start looking at family histories, you'll start seeing like, oh, there's like a, a pattern of alcoholism. Or there's a pattern of just being really opinionated. You just start noticing these patterns going through the generations. We don't know how much of it is hardwired in and how much of it just because of environment. But what we do know is that even if you go and you change your name, you move a million miles away, you sever all ties with your family, who you are is still affected by who your parents were. Family affects your identity. And that's why John wants you, if you are a Jesus follower, to see yourself as being part of the family of God. Because if that becomes your identity, if that informs who you are, then you are going to more naturally live out what God has created you to do. And so that's what John gets into. Look at in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. So he's going right at identity, right? You are a child. If you follow Jesus, you are his child now. And then he goes on. But we know that when he, I'm sorry, um, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, when Jesus appears, so he's still talking about kind of the end times, we shall be like him. In other words, when we see Jesus finally, that's when we become so much more like him. I remember years ago being at an event where the uh, navigators, uh, they're a Christian ministry uh, all over the U.S., do a lot on college campuses, and they have a chapter at UNI. And at one time, a man by the name of Jim Luby was the director at the UNI NAVS. Jim was a fan, I shouldn't use past tense, Jim's still alive, uh, but he, he was a fantastic leader there at, at, uh, for the UNI NAVS. And I remember being at this event, and a couple of the other staff members for the, the NAVS stood up to, to talk and lead. And a couple of times as they were talking, I would look at him and go, that was Jim. I mean, Jim's sitting over there, but the way they said it, the, the way they phrased it, the way they presented it, like, that was Jim. You could see that the fact that they'd been around Jim, it had affected who they were and what they did. And I think that's what John's saying, is when Jesus comes back, and we're not going to get into the debate on whether he's going to come back before the tribulation or in the middle of it or after He's just saying, when he appears, when we finally see him, we will be like him. 
He wants us to realize that our identity is to be in Christ because he knows that when our identity is in Christ, now it affects what we will do. And that's what he then says next. Skip over to verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Now, if we just rip that out of context, look at it, it almost sounds like he's saying, fake it till you make it. Practice righteousness and that will make you righteous. But that's not what he says. He said, notice that last phrase, as he is righteous. In other words, Jesus is righteous. And so because he's righteous, he just practices righteousness. It's just who he is. And so if we are to be like him, we don't go and try and practice righteousness in order to become righteous. We practice righteousness because we are already made righteous in Christ. It's about identity. So we don't sit there and try and fake it till we make it and just do it until it becomes real. We first get to the core of who we are, find our identity in Jesus. And now that we know that we are a child of God, now that just comes out. Now we just begin to act it out. But he gives a little warning. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, on the surface, this sounds scary. I, I mean, you sit there and you look at it, and, and he's saying, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And you're sitting there going, oh, dang it. Like, <laughs> I sinned this week. Pretty big time. Like, like just this morning. Like, I, does this mean I'm like kicked out? Like, this is, this is a big deal. Well, a couple of thoughts. First, we got to keep this in context, right? Typically, when I remind you, we got to put things into context. We're often looking at the, the passage right around what we're, the verse we're looking at. But in this case, I want us to put it in the context of the entire book. Because again, John employs this, I, I shouldn't really say circular reasoning, but he does. He just keeps repeating himself, going around and around and around, so, slowly working in, always bringing it back to the gospel. And we got to realize, what it was that we've already heard that he's now kind of circling back on? And it was back in chapter 1. We saw this in our second week of this study. Chapter 1, verse 8, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so he's saying, hey, Guys, if you try and act like you never sin, you never screw up, you're fooling yourself. You are totally deceiving yourself. We all sin. We all screw up. But notice what he says next, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what I think John is saying over in chapter 3 is he's talking about this practice of sinning where it just becomes a natural part of who you are and there's no confession. Notice that he said, back there in chapter 3, in verse 8, he says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Right? It does not say born of the devil. Now, I, I will admit, so I, I realize I'm probably on shaky ground here, down in verse 10, he, he does use the phrase children of the devil. Right? But back there in, in verse 8, uh, he says that you are just of the devil. And to me, that's significant. Because when God created humans, he put his image in them. Satan has not gone around trying to create his own set of people. He's not gone and created his own world, his own universe, so that he could rule over there. 
Satan can't create. All Satan can do is twist. And so he took what God had made, which was good, and twisted it. That's why he went after Eve. He cannot create. So no one is truly born of the devil. We become of the devil when we merely start falling into his schemes and his ways. And what is that? Let me ask you a question. Who does the devil care about? Anyone? Well, okay, nobody, but himself. Yeah, himself. His whole plan is to try to attempt the ultimate coup. He wants to overthrow God so that he is in charge of everything. And so when he was in the Garden of Eden, tempting Eve, he was not truly trying to do what was best for Eve. He was trying to undermine and undercut everything good that God had done so that then he could rule and reign. He's all about himself. And when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, their concern in that moment was not for God's glory, not for their good. It was selfish. They were thinking about themselves. And when we go and do likewise, when we engage in life only making it about me, now we're being of the devil. Because God did not create us to be worshipped, to make it all about me. He made us to be a blessing to others. Because when you make life all about you, you're like a duck trying to run around on the ground. But when you now make your life in Christ, and you realize the reason God made me is to be a blessing to others, you now begin to swim. And that's what Jesus wants for you. But he wants you to realize first, you are a child of God. And when your identity is wrapped up in being a child, now you will go and act like a child. It just becomes natural, a, a natural part of who you are and what you do. I've had several friends who have entered the process of adoption. They've ended up adopting children, making them part of their family. And I honestly believe that is an incredibly beautiful thing. Because, I mean, this is in a sense what God has done for us. Even though we are born of God, his image is in us, sin ripped us away from him. And yet he went and he purchased us through Christ on the cross. And he's brought us into his family. A number of my friends have adopted kids from China. Uh, China, as many of you know, for years has had a policy of just allowing one child and so because boys in their culture are considered more valuable than girls, if a family has a girl, they often just abandon her or just give her to an orphanage. And so these Chinese orphanages are packed full of girls. And my friends, because they love Jesus, God has just moved their heart to go and to adopt these little girls. One particular family uh, went over and got their, their daughter and brought her back. And they were telling me that they every once in a while would see her act as if she was still back in the orphanage. Uh, my, my friend, the, the mom, she told me a story of how she put a whole bunch of Cheerios on the tray. And all of a sudden, her daughter just began to grab them by the fistfuls and stuff them in her mouth. Like, she, like Heather said, she began to get concerned that, that her daughter was going to start choking. And she realized that in that moment, her daughter was thinking, oh no, I may not get any more food. This may be my only meal of the day. Someone might try and come and take this away. And so she's just grabbing as if she's still in the orphanage. And Heather said she just wanted to let her little girl know, like, you don't have to worry any longer because you're now mine. That when Steve and Heather signed their names on that document, 
She went from being a property of this orphanage in the Chinese government to now being their daughter. And they were giving her everything. They were giving her the food. They're giving her their house. They're giving her of their resources and they're giving her their affection. Who she was had fundamentally changed because Stephen Heather said yes to adopting her. When Jesus went to a cross, he took the title to your life and he signed it in blood saying, this one's mine. And he brought you into his family. And that is why you don't go and just live for self because who you are has fundamentally changed. Because God has given you every spiritual blessing under heaven. Everything that belongs to the Father now belongs to you. You have access to the Father. So you can go and talk to the Father. And you can go and live out being a child of the Father. That means for some of you, you know about the story. But you got to admit, I've not been living out the story. The story has not been a part of who I am in my day-to-day. It's not affecting my job. It's not affecting my family. It's not affecting how I use my time. And today, God is picking you up. And through this message, he's throwing you into the water, saying, I want you to swim. I want you to be my child. And so today, what you need is just to be reminded that God loves you. And through the cross of Jesus and his resurrection, you are made his child. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I invite you, as we sing this next song, would you confess your sin? And would you let Jesus become your king, your leader, your big brother? Allow God to make you his child. And realize that in blood was signed the name of Jesus so that you could transfer over from living for self, of being of the devil, to now being a child of God. And as you surrender your life to that, Jesus wants to do far more through you than you could ever dream or imagine. He wants to make you alive. So Heavenly Father, I pray that over these next moments that you would work mightily and powerfully through your Holy Spirit. God, I am only one person who can only say one set of words to one group of people, and yet you, through your Holy Spirit, can penetrate each individual heart and mind. And so, Lord, I pray that you do that right now. Right now, would you help us to get on our knees before you? For some of us, it means we need to confess. For some of it means we need to rejoice. For some of it, it is taking that step for the very first time. For some of us, it is coming back because we've been walking away. We've been living for self. So, Father, I pray in these next moments that we have together, that you would just do what only you can do, changing the hearts and minds of your people, letting them know how much you love them and how you have changed their identity through Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.